Welcome to another episode of Songs You Should Know. I'm Jimbo. And I'm the Mixter. And this is episode number six from 1975. Highlights from That is some that is some funky guitar going on there. I'll, I'll we'll talk a little we'll talk in a little bit about how that was done, which is kind yes. of interesting. But uh, yes, coming to you from the songs you should know world headquarters, located in a secret bunker in central Minnesota. Yes, and Mick is in the satellite office. That's Tell him where you're located. Well, at an undisclosed location. but see we. We we can't be at the same place at the same time because you know That's if there true. was ever an accident then then the entire empire would go down. So it's kind of like the president, right? It's the president <laughs> and the vice president situation. So I am in Branson, and that's all I can really give you right now because it's secret. <laughs> right. Anyway, I can I can I can tell you that from the world headquarters here in uh, in central Minnesota, you can actually see Lake Wobegon from here. So that's I cannot. That's about as close as I can get to. <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> so yes, we're looking at uh, highlights from 1975. Let me and, take the, um, let me take the first one because all right, you do that because uh, this deeply affects me. So uh, from 1975, facts and trivia: January 12th was Super Bowl. I should have studied this. So the I <laughs> the, the I and the X is that eleven. Or nine. That's not. That's nine, buddy. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, math is one of my strong suits too. So anyway, uh, especially in Roman numerals. I know. So, in a January twelfth Super Bowl nine, the Pittsburgh Steelers defeat my Minnesota Vikings. I had my Vikings jersey on. It was sixteen to six, but it, it was at uh, Tulane Stadium in in New Orleans. And I'm a huge Minnesota Vikings fan, and we are zero four. Long, long-suffering long Minnesota Vikings yes. fan. So, as all we right. all you are. You can take the name. <laughs> all right. Yes. So, hey, yes, it's the year of the, uh, well, one of the years of the energy crisis when there were long lines at the gas pumps. And we resorted to things like uh, moving to daylight savings time two months early for energy saving purposes, which... You know, I, I find kind of strange, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So we moved to daylight savings. To me, I want to see the documentation on this, but that's okay. So not not only did we have you know the energy crisis, but we also had uh, the end of the Vietnam War. Um, Saigon fell. Um, communist forces took Saigon. There were mass evacuations of the Americans and the South Vietnamese, and then South Vietnam surrendered unconditionally. So there was a lot of. A lot of heavy stuff going on, you know. Not on, not unlike nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> so a, lot, a lot of it, crisis going on. It's so different. 
and then in July, we had the Apollo Soyuz uh, test project, and that was an American Apollo in a Soviet uh, Soyuz spacecraft dock in orbit, and they make the first uh, such link up between spacecraft uh, from the two nations. It, uh, it was also the last Apollo mission, uh, the last manned U.S. space mission until STS-1, that's the first space shuttle uh, orbit flight. Yeah, we stayed out of uh, we stayed out of space until the space shuttle was was ready. So we didn't have any money. There was a <laughs> there was a downtime there, and then yeah, you know, on top of all the other craziness going on, in one month there are two assassination attempts on the president. So Which I didn't President know. Gerald President Gerald Ford. Um, <clears throat> so this is we're we're after Watergate here. Well, after Nixon resigned due to Watergate. There's still some con- convictions that come this year out of the whole Watergate scandal, but Nixon has already resigned. Gerald Ford has become president, and uh, he's the only guy that was ever... Uh, the vice president resigned. He got appointed to be vice president. The president resigned. He got appointed, well, obviously, you know, became president. Sure. So he's the only guy to ever serve as vice president and president without being elected. I did Which not know that. I'll, I'll be honest. I guess <laughs> I didn't know that the vice president resigned, and that's how he became vice president. So. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, it was Agnew, I think. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> two assass- assassination attempts. Assassination attempts. It's hard to say that. And uh, <laughs> it is. I think, boy, if I I didn't write this down, this was Squeaky Fromm, who was uh, a Manson follower of all yes. things. Yep. And then um, Sarah Jane Moore was the other one. But so in in one month, of, of all people, Gerald Ford. You go after Gerald Ford. He wasn't even that controversial a guy, you know. But uh, hey, talk about uh, talk about yes. one of the greatest of yes. all time. I'm a big sports guy, so October first was the thriller in Manila when Muhammad Ali uh, defeats Joe Frazier in a boxing match in the Philippines. And for all you sports buffs out there, there's definitely, you know, documentaries on this. And that was, uh, at that time, that was, that was pretty big. It was a big deal. Um, and also, what I remember in October, and I was young, but I do remember watching the debut episode, and I've been a fan ever since. But this is when Saturday Night Live first appears. Yes. And uh, George Carlin is, is the, the first host and he's got Billy Preston and Janice Ian on as the first musical guest. But yeah, George Carlin was the the first Saturday Night Live host. And I think I remember I remember watching uh, Saturday Night Live with you and with Mom and Dad. So I, I think I watched that one. And of course, uh, you know, Billy Preston is very interesting because I'm a huge Stones fan. And he was the Stones used him for quite oh, yeah. a bit. Billy did pass away, unfortunately, but um, yeah. And uh, as far as you know. Big events for for Minnesotans and for music industry also. Uh, the bulk carrier Edmund Fitzgerald sank off Whitefish Point with all hands. Right. So we have uh, we have the great folk song, "The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald." That's right. Um, yeah. And that was Gordon right. Lightfoot, right? It was Gordon Lightfoot. Yep, Here Gordo. Go. And little... uh, we're gonna head right it. We're gonna head right into the first song. All right. Let me go, 
yeah, you'll notice that I went right into the fast section because we needed, needed to get that energy going right there. It's been a long song. Um, well, it is. Well, almost six minutes, and we'll right. talk about that here in a minute too. Sure. But um, it was uh, – I find songs like this interesting because, you know, we talked about good vibrations in another episode. And to me, Bohemian Rhapsody, and there are a few others out there, have – they have commonalities with, with songs like Good Vibrations where we see things assembled as different sections, you know. So, that, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody is very much sort of an opera kind of song. Sure. And, and there, there are different sections to it, different speeds, different voicings, different instrumentation. And then it's all sort of assembled together. Uh, so I, I, I find stuff like that very interesting. And... Actually, during this time um, and shortly after, Paul McCartney did a lot of this stuff, too, with like Band on the Run and and other McCartney things that really have very separate sections sure. that somehow come together. And um, so I find that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember because it was 1975, so I was nine, but this was a huge roller skating song. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, yeah. roller, sk- I, roller I skating was a big thing, man. In '75, <laughs> it was. If you could yep. skate backwards, like during yep. the uh, couple dance or during the couple skate. Oh yeah, you were you you could, you, you could, were pretty good. I was. I was. I was kind of a a roller fanatic there yeah. for a bit. Could you ever skate backwards? I well during the couple skate, I did. <laughs> Other than that. Uh, it, it didn't really get me anywhere. I don't think I got any dates out of the deal, but yeah. So the song's written by Freddie Mercury. Um, it's on the album A Night at the Opera. And I've seen it variously. It listed at 557 or 555 in length. Um, anyway, shortly, a little bit under six minutes. And there's a pretty neat quote from Roy Thomas Baker, who produced this, that uh, he said, and, and I think... Freddie Mercury actually started writing this in the late 60s. Wow. And would, would sit down and play little things on the piano. And, um, and then so it gestated over a great period of time. But uh, Roy Thomas Baker said that Mercury once played the opening ballad section on the piano for him. He played the beginning on the piano. Then he stopped and said, and this is where the opera section comes in. And then we went out to eat dinner. <laughs> <coughs> He didn't have ADD. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Okay. So the band, of course, is Freddie Mercury and obviously on vocals. Brian May, also on guitar and vocals. Brian May is a heck of a vocalist, too. He is. We'll uh, we'll talk about that here in a second. Go ahead. And then uh, Roger Taylor on drums and vocals and John Deacon on bass. And uh, since Freddie's death, John Deacon, you know, Brian and Roger have continued playing and touring. Yes. Um, And that's, uh, I actually, uh, I don't remember if it was, I don't think it was the Brian May band. I didn't do my homework. I forgot what the name of the project was, but they opened for uh, Guns N' Roses at the Fargo Dome. And that's when I really realized Brian May can sing, y'all. Oh, yeah. he's Just so you know, he can sing. And I did get a chance to see uh, Queen plus Paul Rogers. That was quite good. And then they've all, yeah. they've been touring with uh, Adam Lambert too. You know from yeah, uh, yep. America's not not America's uh, Got Talent. Let's start with uh, Idol, American <laughs> Idol. One of one of those pseudo <laughs> shows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, since Freddie died, John Deacon, the bass player, has not 
has not played with them. So it's been Brian and Roger sort of keeping keeping that together. But well, I didn't know that. So John doesn't go out live with them. No, no. Well, he he certainly wasn't part of Queen plus Paul Rogers. Um, no, oh. I don't think he's played with them for quite a while. Well, there you go. Um, so so they come out with this this song that's almost six minutes long, and the record executives are like, "There's it's too long. We can't put it on the radio. It'll never be a hit." Um, you know, Hey Jude was an exception. Don't right. you, you guys are not the Beatles. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> they played it for other musicians and they all thought, ah, there's no there's no way it'll ever get on the radio. But Roy Thomas Baker was pretty clever about this. So he goes to a DJ uh, named Kenny Everett and he gives him a reel to reel copy of the song. And he says, you can have this, but you have to promise not to play it. So here's a DJ with this cool new song from Queen exclusively. And you have to promise not to play it. And so Kenny Everett sort of winked and said, I won't play it. <laughs> and then okay. what happened is Everett started to play pieces of the song. You know, it's, it's written in so many sections. He started right. to play pieces of the song. And then eventually, eventually the audience, you know, it, it, the, the interest in the song was, was uh, growing and growing. And so he finally played the whole thing. He ended up playing it 14 times in two days. Wow. And so... The following Monday, there's all kinds of fans lining up, trying to go in and buy the buy the single. And then the record store has said, well, it hasn't been released yet. And then we have a, a radio guy from the, the United States who heard the London show. He gets a copy of the tape and he starts to play it. And finally, the U.S. label for Queen, Elektra, sort of gives in okay they're like <laughs> it was a strange situation where radio on both sides of the atlantic were, were breaking the record and the record companies said it would never get airplay so they had to actually release the full unedited, unedited single and uh that's a case of of uh getting fan interest there you, you know go. to really drive things there you go all right talk about the success of the song well, uh, it, it topped the, the UK singles chart for nine weeks, and it sold more than a million copies by the end of uh, January 1976. It reached number one again in 1991 for another five weeks when the same version was re-released. and eventually became the UK's third best-selling album, uh, or sorry, single of all times. Uh, it's also the only Christmas number. <laughs> what? It's also the well, only... over the in the in the UK they talk about <clears throat> Christmas number ones. What is what is the number one song at Christmas time? And Bohemian uh, Rhapsody by the same artist. So it... Right was the only time that that uh, the same song went to number one over Christmas time twice. And then it topped the, years. And then it topped the charts uh, in several other markets as well, including Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, and the Netherlands later becoming one of the best uh, singles of all times. In the United best States... Best-selling, yeah. Best-selling, yeah. And then uh, in the United States, the song originally peaked, peaked at number one in 1976, returned to... Number nine. <clears throat> excuse me. Jeez. Peaked at number nine. Yeah, for all you sports fans out there, I think it's the first time I wore my glasses during this uh, session. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> it returned to the charge at number two. That'll, that'll, that'll be the last time. Yeah. yeah. Now I know that because I'm like, did I wear my glasses? Apparently not. <laughs> so then uh, 
The return to the chart at number two in 1992, uh, following F Freddie Mercury's death in 1991, as well as it appears in the film, for all you film fanatics like myself, Wayne's World, which revived American popularity. Right. Yes, that, and uh, like I did at the beginning of the show here, the one of the secrets of that Wayne's World scene is that they go right into the fast section. <laughs> yeah. you know, they don't do the they don't do the harmonies at the beginning. They they sort of segue right into that fast section where everybody's doing their head banging and stuff. But yes. uh, so Rolling Stone magazine, you know, stated, and, and this is important to know. This was seven years before MTV, and they do a video that is very influential. And Rolling Stone said, you know, you can't deny um, that they practically invented the music video yep. seven years before MTV and other artists had done videos for promos and stuff too. But, um, that, <clears throat> that video did more, you know, to advance the whole idea of music video at the time. I missed, I missed the, the MTV that used to play videos all the time. Yep. <laughs> Don't we all? I want, I want my MTV. <laughs> and we've talked about the beach boys here. What did Brian Wilson say about it? Brian said, uh, in 1976, the most competitive thing that's come along in ages in a fulfillment and an answer to a teenage uh, prayer of artistic music. Right. So, And our, I mean, the reader's poll of, that Rolling Stone did in 2012, it was voted the best vocal performance in rock history. There's just, you know, there's just so many layers of, of vocals on there. And like I said, once you go see... You know, go see him live even now, or go see Brian May or whoever. They 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 can all sing. Now, granted, it's there's a lot of tracks going on, but well, you know, they were limited to like 24 tracks at the time. But if you know anything about recording, they they would they did a lot of bounce downs. They can bounce where they where where they would where they would record you know the vocals on several different tracks and then bounce them all, submix them down to one track, erase the other ones, and tape over them. So I've seen, you know, things that say that there are, there are like 180 different layers to the song. Wow. And the quality is still there. Machine. Because, <clears throat> yeah. For yeah. all you wondering, uh, when you bounce down, sometimes you lose quality. But I tell you what. Well, in the, in the day of tape machines, you certainly did. Now, now, now everything's digital. So yeah, you don't absolutely. necessarily. But uh, um, there's been a lot of controversy. Not controversy, but... Um, a lot of confusion about what exactly is this song about? And for a long time, Queen never really wanted to say anything about what it was about. And, and Freddie Mercury would say, it's just one of those songs that it has such a fantasy feel about it. I think people should just listen to it, think about it, and then make up their own minds as to what it says to them. So, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, he said, didn't come out of thin air. I did a bit of research, although it was tongue-in-cheek and mock opera. Why not? Why not, darlings? <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> now, there was, Why this not? was a little convoluted, but there was a, uh, when the greatest hits cassette came out, and this is convoluted, so follow this. Their greatest hits cassette comes out in Iran, and there is a leaflet in Persian included with it. And there's a biography of the band all written in Persian and all the lyrics. And then there's a translation or an explanation of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody in there. So in Persian, in Iran, Queen apparently states that it's about a young man who accidentally killed someone. 
and like Faust, he sold his soul to the devil. And on the night before his execution, he calls for God, saying, Bismillah, the name of God in Arabic, and with the help of angels, regains his soul from Shaitan, the devil in Arabic. So that's as close as I've seen of of an actual (laughs) supposedly band-sponsored meaning, and this is what it actually meant. Wow. And Freddie was, I don't know, he wasn't Persian, right? He was was from... Oh, man, what what was his background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because he was born, his name is something very long and interesting, but... We're about to find out. Pretty mercury. (laughs) Mercury. The wonders of the internet here, yes. Yes. Um, Stick with us, kids. <laughs> Hopefully I don't lose the recording here. Right. Uh, yes, he was born Farak Balsara. Right. And he was actually born in what is now Tanzania. Man. So that's not it's really Persia. Stone town- <laughs> right. No, the, the sul- it was Stone Town, the Sultanate of Zanzibar, which is now called Tanzania. And his name was Farouk Bulsara. That's right, Farouk. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Very exotic, yes. Yeah. Well, um, so was he. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and the famous video, you know, that everybody sees, I was surprised to find out it, it took four hours. That was all the time that they had. And they recorded really? that video in four hours. Just a lot of black backgrounds and lighting on their faces. I do remember that. And uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, um, you've seen some covers of this thing, right? Well, and do you remember the uh, do you remember the uh, Freddie Mercury tribute concert? I do, and so there was, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that was uh, Queen Elton John, Axl Rose, which was that 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 was very cool, and then which I I'm going to have to go look at this now. Uh, there's a Muppets cover video on YouTube. <laughs> and so they must change the lyrics. So it's slightly cleansed uh, uh, lyrics in 2009. All right. I'm going to pull this up for you. So, oh, well, of course, you know, they, they're, they're the Muppets. They can't do Mama Just Killed a Man. <laughs> um, so, but, but they're pretty clever about what they do. So I'm going to let this play for a little bit so that we get, get to where Animal comes in and does the Mama section. Yes. But... Uh, <laughs> Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor Cause I'm easy come, easy go Little high, little low Any way the wind blows Doesn't really matter to me To me Here comes Animal Mama Mama, 
<laughs> Very inventive. I had to. I just go. had to let. I had to let it play through there. But you can go on on YouTube, and there's the the official Muppets video is there, and they actually copy the visual look, you know, oh, of, the, of, of the original <laughs> video. But uh, they were pretty clever about how they got around some of the lines, you know. So they didn't have to talk about killing anybody. They had to talk about. <laughs> Animal thinking about his mama. <laughs> he's, a, he, he's a drummer. He's pretty simple, kids. Let's just leave it at that. So yes, I went. I went down into the uh, the sound vault located right. here at the world headquarters, where we keep all kinds of oddities, and, and pulled out our copy of that. So um, <laughs> I didn't pull out the Weird Al Yankovic one, though. He does. A, he does an entire Bohemian polka, and. And it has basically the same lyrics. It's one of the few songs where he really didn't rewrite the song. He just sort of redid it as a polka. Um, but I didn't pull that out. Um, I did get a chance to see like Queen plus Paul Rogers. And it was always a challenge even for Queen to do this song live. Because there are just too many layers of things going on. So sometimes they would segue from one song into, you know, parts of Bohemian Rhapsody and they'd go back and forth and pull out different sections of it in the middle of other songs. And when I saw them with Paul Rogers, they actually had Freddie Mercury on video doing parts of it. And they would, they actually played parts from the Queen video and then segued into them playing live along with it and stuff. So it was, it was a yeah. challenge to try to, try to do that. Yeah. I do remember seeing that uh, live when they would do that. All right. Well, I think we've uh, we've given a long song a long enough due. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Yes. song that really accelerated Springsteen's career. Um, he had gone through two albums the year before, both of which were critically acclaimed, but neither one sold very well. So Springsteen was sort of down to, okay, third time's got to be a charm. And this really, the, the entire album, but this song especially, um, really uh, highlighted the fact that he was a very perfectionist sort of person and there are rumors that there are many as 11 guitar tracks at a time you know on this song to try to get it get that big sound that big wall of sound wow. um thing so yeah talk about the musicians well there's bruce of course so bruce springsteen is on the electric and acoustic guitars and the vocals uh, gary talent who is the bass player Ernest boom carter was on drums but he was replaced by a uh, the current drummer, Max Weinberg, uh, for the rest of the album. David Sanatius was the Sanctious. piano. was the piano. Uh, the Fender Rhodes, that, that groovy Fender Rhodes electric piano in the synth. He was replaced by Roy uh, Baton. 
I think it's just bitten. Bitten for the rest of the album. Danny Federici on Hammond, Oregon, and Glockenspiel. Clarence Clemens, the big man on tenor sax. And there's uncredited uh, for people playing on tambourine, strings, and bass. Brass. Man. <laughs> My glass. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. Now, at this time, they were still not, which I didn't know, they, they were still not referred to as the E Street Band yet. This was Springsteen's last shot at uh, creating a career after two albums the year before, which you had talked about. They're critically successful, but just not commercially. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think that they were referred to as the E Street Band, but not they weren't credited as the okay. E Street Band in the title of the album. So it just says Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. Huh. And uh, <clears throat> later on, you 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 get to a point where it is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band is the full the full name sure. on there. And then Springsteen went through another period where he basically went solo and didn't use the E Street Band. And then he put the E Street Band back together, and they've been doing that ever since. Right, um, doing marathon shows. I think uh, last year they did a four hour show someplace. Yeah, um, he's he likes to play monster. Yeah. yeah. Is great. Um, it's interesting that we did Be My Baby in a previous episode, and Robert Kreisgau, who's a very well known music critic, when he heard Born to Run, he said, This is the fulfillment of everything Be My Baby was about, and lots more. So it's sort of that whole wall of sound, Phil Spector influenced um, thing that, that Springsteen really ran with. Yeah. And uh, with, with, you know, more modern recording technology, instead of recording to mono, of course, we, now we have stereo that we're working with. And, sure. and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> this is pretty, uh, this is pretty big. So the song ranks 21st on the Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest songs of all times. 21st, kids. That ain't bad. And <laughs> one of Springsteen's claims to fame was that, uh, that year, he appeared simultaneously, the same week, on the covers of Time and Newsweek as sort of the future of rock and roll. And uh, I, I'm sure other people have been on you know, the cover of both magazines simultaneously, probably politicians and presidents and things. But uh, here for a popular musician, artist, to hit that big you know, simultaneously, it obviously is the turning point in Springsteen's career, you know, right. turned him from, turned him from a semi-legendary bar band player and, and a concert player to being sort of a social force. So Sure. And that's pretty cool. So, yeah. um, let's talk about lyrical meaning. It's written in the first person. And if you listen to the words, it's, uh, the song is a love letter to a girl named Wendy, from who the hot riding protagonist seems to possess the passion to love, just not the patience. Right. Got to get out of here. Don't we all? <laughs> yep. Tramps yep. like us, baby, we're born to run. We got to get out of this place. Right. Um, you know, and, and uh, Springsteen writes an awful lot in the first person. You know, he, he creates characters that um, we want to identify with as listeners and uh, very often yearning to get out and, and, and get away. And, and uh, um, but that's his, that's his M.O. That's what he does is, yeah. is 
create first person characters. Now I've got, uh, I went down into the vaults. Yes. And I've got, I've got something to play for you and I, I'm going to have to let it run for a little bit because it's, it's, uh, you'll see why in a second. Um, it's a little, it's a little humorous at the beginning, but, uh, mm-hmm. What's the bloody first line, Nigel? Roger Daltrey from The Who decides to surprise an audience with a version of Born to Run, and he gets gets to the point where he's supposed to sing the first line, and he goes blank. Yeah. What's the bloody word? What's the bloody first line? Right. So this actually, uh, he did put it out on a, a – It's he was playing solo. He wasn't playing with The Who there. But um, he has a greatest hits kind of rarities collection, and uh, they did, it's called Gold. But they did actually put – Put the recording on there with the complete with the the flubbed lines and everything. So um, oh, there you go. Gotta, it's live. Got to give Daltrey that. And, and, <clears throat> yeah. So much of the album was actually finished on piano, even though the 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 beginning of that song, Springsteen started to write it um, on guitar, I think, and then switched over to piano for at least the composition of most of the thing the things on the entire album for Born to Run. Um, uh, and of course the E street band is full of multi-instrumentalists and, uh, um, and so we, we, we see the, the launch of, uh, the great Springsteen, uh, career that goes to this day. All right. We spent so much time on Bohemian Rhapsody that, uh, I, I kind of blew through, uh, you know, born to run because it's a frantic you know, awesome race to get out of here. So, <laughs> which we don't which have we're, patience. That's right. We're, we're we're running long anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna take a short break, and we'll come right back with something completely different. Yes, we will.
I'm going to fade that down for a second so we can get into the chorus here. <laughs> so yeah, in the in the year of Bohemian Rhapsody and Born to Run, we also have something completely different. Casey and the Sunshine Band put together this uh, funk R and B, very repetitive sort of style that they that they came out with, which was basically dance music, you know. Um, disco, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is disco, but it's also not, you know, because right, I I agree. It's, it's, it's more of a yeah. I mean, it, it is and it isn't. It's it's got it. it they had their own thing going on, and I, I have to I have to tell you, I was not at the time. I was more, you know, hard rock. I was just you know just hitting that that age of playing guitar, and, and uh, so KC was not anything that I was really enamored with because I couldn't play that, you know. <laughs> yes, that was. I don't. I don't. I don't have have other musicians around me with all those horns and everything else going on. So, right. But the guitar parts and that kind of stuff are very cool. They're very interesting. Oh yeah, and uh, well, of course, that intro is just bizarre. Right. Um, do you know how they did that? that well, uh, little twinkly. I didn't know until you know we went and found out it. it Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play uh, it one more time, and then we're, we're uh, let me play yeah. it one more time, and then we'll tell yeah, people how how that goes. See if uh, if chipmunks played guitar, that's what it would sound like. See, and I'll tell you this: I always thought that was done on synth. So there you go. Yeah, well, and I think nowadays probably that's how most people would do I it. Think I think it is. I think live, right? You know, but it, but it was recorded. The guitar solo is recorded uh, it, at double speed over a normal speed guitar line in, in the background. So, well, it comes it comes out at double speed. But the way you do that, I mean, because we're talking about the day, you know, nowadays everything's digital. But right, we're talking about tape machines. And so a trick that, that people would use in the studio would be slow the tape down to half speed, which keeps you in the same key, but everything is, you know, um, much lower. Right. So it actually reduces, you know, pulls it down, but it's in the same key. And then you play your guitar along with it just naturally. But then when you speed the tape back up to normal speed, all the stuff in the background Sounds normal, but the guitar sounds like this little plinky plinky, you know, really high, yeah, bizarre kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that was the the technique used. And one of my favorite artists is Lindsey Buckingham, and his solo stuff and a couple of Fleetwood Mac things too are sort of known for um, for using the uh, the same technique, where you'll hear you'll hear very high, bizarre little guitar things, and you're like, well, how did somebody actually do that? And uh, it, it turns out you just physically slow the tape down and play along with it and then speed it back up. That's right. Weird so. science, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, that was a huge band. Uh, I'll let you read that that whole list there. It was a huge <laughs> band. And I'll, uh, <clears throat> this is no disrespect because this is my song. So Harry Wayne Casey, who is Casey, and every time I read that name, he does have a book out that I 
kind of Google too, but every time I see Harry Wayne Casey, I think of John Wayne Gacy, the, uh, oh, man. <laughs> And that's not that's not his fault. So maybe that's why he went to KC. That's that's why it's KC instead yeah. of K, KC right. was spelled C A S E Y, but they call them KC. Yeah. Right. So KC's on keyboards and vocals. Jerome Smith's on guitar. Richard Finch, who was the producer as well, uh, is on bass, guitar, drums, and percussion. Robert Johnson's on drums. Oliver C. Brown's on percussion. Uh, Furman. <laughs> Let's see, uh, Goita Solo? Yeah, he's on percussion. Like I said, it's a huge band. You know, Ken Falk's on trumpet, Vinny uh, Tano's on trumpet, Mike Lewis on, on the tenor saxophone, uh, Whit Seidner's on baritone sax, Beverly Champion's on backing vocals, Marguerite uh, Reynolds is on backing vocals, uh, Jeanette Williams is on backing vocals. So... And I think that's so what we're kinda, up, we're we're up to thirteen there. Yeah. yeah, that's what kind of. I mean, it wasn't a huge disco guy, but it intrigued my interest of just that. You know, I've always loved horn bands too. So you know, mm-hmm. the horns, the percussion. Well, uh, you know, I'm in a couple of bands as as hobbies, but one of them is just a four piece. Not just a four piece. It's a four piece band. The other one, however, is a fourteen piece. So I. With with a lot of the same kind of instrumentation, background vocals, the the horns going on in there, lots of percussion, bass, guitar, drums, keyboards. Um, that's a whole different trip. That's really a, a fun, energetic thing when you get to be a part of it. So I mean, it's it's thick, you know. So so the song became widely successful. It it was becoming a it became the first of their five number one hits that KC had uh, on the Billboard Hot 100 list. So. Right. You can talk. You know, and there was a period of time where, man, he, he, really, uh, <laughs> he, really, he really had his thing down, and that sound just, you know, was monster. Um, and it's the, it's the same year that, uh, well, one of the other songs is That's the Way I Like It, you know, right. um, which also went to number one. I mean, it was just a monster time for, for them, even though I – Personally, was not into that music. It's like you have to admire that big band. Yeah, that's really nailing that sound. So, I mean, he he had it going on. And uh, I I have a note here for the lyrical meaning. Go ahead. Well, (laughs) we have this very we have this very repetitive. You know, that was part of their their shtick is that it's you get into a groove. So basically, do a little dance, make a little love, get down tonight. It doesn't get much deeper than that. Yeah. So, but there is sort of a story behind it. it it's it's supposedly you know w- when you listen to the lyrics, it's in, it's in a nightclub, and you know the, the hero, the the central voice of the song, is trying to convince a girl to do some dancing, followed by some love making, and uh, this it does actually relate back to Casey and uh, and Richard Finch sneaking into nightclubs in the Miami area. Just to get a taste of that culture, which which is really what influenced their sound, then. So, all right. So, all right. Places you've heard this song before? Other other artistic, you know, endeavors where the song shows up in the soundtrack. So the original rendition uh, has been used from uh, the film Sid and Nancy, which I've seen that movie, and I guess I didn't. I, I don't remember that. that. I don't remember that being in there. 
Uh, Forrest Gump, I guess I kind of do because, you know, they went through the whole 60s, 70s, 80s and uh, Hotel de Love, uh, Rush Hour, Deuce Bigelow, uh, Male Gigolo, uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley, Arlington Road, and Roll Bounce. It has, yeah, me either, but uh, <laughs> it has shown up in like Futurama. Okay, you would have seen some of those episodes. Um, and uh, in House MD, which was one of my favorite shows. I haven't watched House for a while. I should go back and pull some of those up. Oh, yeah. And then there's an episode of the Big Bang Theory called The Pulled Groin Extrapolation. That actually <laughs> has Get Down Tonight in it. <laughs> I think I may have seen and, that one because I'm a huge Big Bang guy, so... Yeah, I've seen most of those, but uh, so originally it was called "What You Want Is What You Get," <laughs> and then and then Casey changed it to "Get Down Tonight." But uh, and then if you remember uh, Goldmember, the Austin oh, Powers I do. thing, um, <laughs> there's a big med- there's a there's a medley in there, and and Foxy Cleopatra, of course, you know Beyonce is in the movie, right? And uh, she does a whole medley of, of things, which includes "Get Down Tonight," but. Um, I think all the lyrics have been changed. The whole thing is is yeah. very much different, but to that music. So, um, and yeah, as we pointed out earlier, uh, that's the way I like it. it was that's was it. on was on that album too. So, uh, and shake your booty. <laughs> was that on the, that album? I don't even know if it was. That's what the dang note said. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> well, no, that was part of that medley. I don't. That was part of that medley. I don't know if that was on that album. Oh, hmm. You know what? <laughs> and with that, yeah. <laughs> we'll be back with some trivia. back and it's time for trivia the part of the show where i get to totally spring by surprise questions for mick yes we get to be amused by his attempts to pull the answers out of thin air (laughs) and sometimes amazed (laughs) sometimes amused (laughs) wow a a yep amused amazed there's gonna be one more a in there assumed (laughs) my answers are assumed sometimes all right, so songs from 1975. The, I, I went through and looked at the top-rated songs, you know, the songs that sold the most, the most commercially successful from the year, and pulled a few questions together. Now, I do have multiple choices for you, but I'll give you extra fake points if you get it without the multiple choice. Aha, because you, you just know it. That's right. <laughs> All right. So the number one song for the year... Um, 
uh, which was, I think, number one for nine weeks, I think. And it was in the top 10 for like 18 weeks. All right. Can I guess first before you give me a multiple choice? Sure. That's even double bonus points. Okay. Because uh, we'll we'll tell some childhood stories here quick. Because 75, we were living, I think, in Omaha. And we used to listen. I used to listen to the countdown on New Year's Eve. I think that I think the year is wrong. I'm going to say it was Elton John and what's her name with um, Kiki D. Kiki D. But I think the year is wrong. So I think you're right. I and think you're wrong. <laughs> I think you're right that you're wrong. You think that I'm right that I'm wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I know I know that you're right that you're wrong. Well, there you go because that's not the answer. So all right. Well, I'm going to break my heart. But I'm going to uh, yeah. I'm going to say these lyrics. And uh, actually, Elton did have another big hit in 75, but I think I might have a question about that coming up. All, but, right. Uh, all right. I've been walking these streets so long, singing the same old song. I know every crack in these dirty sidewalks of Broadway, where hustle's the name of the game, and nice guys get washed away like the snow and the rain. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Yes, it is. There you go. You didn't even need choices. I didn't. No, and uh, so Glenn Campbell, who probably before your time in Branson, well, definitely because he's now retired from performing because of Alzheimer's. Um, but Glenn Campbell had a theater in Branson. I have the, uh, for all you eBayers out there, I have the blueprints to the Glenn Campbell uh, Theater, actually. Yeah, it is, I think it's gone now. It, if if uh, memory serves me correct, the, what became the Oak Ridge Boys Theater was the Glen Campbell Theater, and now that has been torn down, too. That's going to become a, a medical center. But I had the blueprints. <laughs> a medical center. Well, that, how appropriate. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and Glen Campbell we has a fascinating history um, as a session, session mus- musician. But also, um, so... <laughs> Getting back to the Beach Boys, who we've talked about a few times, when Brian Wilson really melted down, um, they recruited Glenn Campbell to tour with them. Yeah. In the Beach Boys. (laughs) And they actually invited him to permanently join the group when it looked like Brian was never coming back. Wow. And then um, he he rejected the offer. They had some contractual differences and stuff, but uh, he kept going out and doing session work and... Man, he played with Frank Sinatra, the Monkees, Mamas and the Papas, and then finally yeah, got was. finally got in '67. He was signed to a solo contract, and he had things like, you know, "Gentle on My Mind." By the time I get to Phoenix, Wichita Gal- Lineman, my yeah, favorite. Yep, song. Wichita Lineman and Galveston, and um, and then he sort of had about five years where he sort of dropped off the charts, and then "Rhinestone Cowboy" was his big comeback then. So. And I think he had a variety show, if I'm not... He did. He had a, he had a show for a while. Right, yep. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah. The second ranked hit Ryan from Stone 1975. Here, we're we're going to go to the second ranked hit now, All okay? Right. Okay. All right. I'm going to read a lyric, and then, boy, if you get this one, I'll just be... <laughs> All right. Impressed. I'm ready. Young and beautiful, someday your looks will be gone. When the others turn you off, who will be turning you on? I will, I will, I will. I gotta think of the name of the song. That was the problem. <laughs> mm. 
I guess you're not going to be impressed. I know the lyrics. I, I don't think I know the song right now. In, 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 the in, Captain. Oh, uh, Captain and Tennille. I will. Yes. I will. Now, the song was actually keep written, us though, together, by... Right? Level Keep Us yes, Together. Yes, Level Keep... Level, there we go. There we go. But the song was actually written by Neil Sedaka. Um, I knew that, I think. Yep. Yep. So uh, it was sort of a, a comeback time for, for Neil Sedaka, you know, as an influence. But, uh, uh, yeah, so Captain and Tennille, and they're just sort of starting their career there with uh, Level Keep Us Together, and they... They uh they had going on for a, l- a long time. Yep, they had they they charted seven more songs, so they did pretty well. And they were already in their thirties when they actually had that hit. So they were a little bit late bloomers, I guess. Yeah. But uh, all right. Hmm. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna read these lyrics to you. This was the, uh, hmm, I, <laughs> I was going to do, I was going to do the number three song, but <laughs> yeah. basically it only has one line to it, which is the title. <laughs> so, uh, so this isn't a question, but the <laughs> feelings, whoa, 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 feelings, feelings. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about that song <clears throat> because our younger brother, Donald, would walk yes. around the house singing that song, Felix. Felix. Nothing more than Felix. <laughs> Felix. <laughs> like, it's not a cat. It's Felix. <laughs> All right. So uh, here's here's another song from the, from that year, though. If you choose to live, if you choose, you can live your life alone. Some people choose the city. Some others choose the good old family home. I like living easy without family ties. Till the whippoorwill of freedom zapped me right between the eyes. Do I get triple points for this? But you, you kind of gave it away with Elton John. But it's Philadelphia. Oh yeah, freedom, yeah. So. it is Philadelphia Freedom. So yes, that was that was. Uh, <laughs> and he was inspired by um, Billy Jean King, actually. Really? Um, who was okay? So famous tennis player. At that time, yeah. She she was the coach of a of a tennis team called the Philadelphia Freedoms in the World Team Tennis League, which was a thing at the time. Wow. Um, so yeah, so he that. wrote he wrote a he wrote a song same uh, called Philadelphia Freedom. All right. Let's see here. Uh, okay, here we go. Here's an artist we haven't mentioned for a while. Not, not mentioned yet, okay? Okay. To, to sail on a dream on a crystal clear ocean, to ride on the crest of a wild raging storm, to work in the service of life and living in search of the answers to questions unknown, to be part of the movement and part of the growing, part of beginning to understand. I can I can give you choices. Yeah, because uh, that would be like me taking French class, which I never took. <laughs> uh, All right, the song is either "Sailing," oh. "Calypso," "Dreamweaver," or "I Like Dreaming." Man, I want to say "Sailing," but I, I don't think that's right. I calypso, I sing to your spirit. It's calypso. <sighs> And who is that by? 
I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> it's John Denver. It was sort of a sort of a oh. tribute to Jacques, Jacques Cousteau, I think, because his Jacques Cousteau, the Calypso, great. Yeah. yeah, his his vessel was the called vessel. the Calypso. Yeah. Yes. All right. Hmm. All right. Here's a song that uh, I can <laughs> I can't give you the lyrics, but I can tell you that it was a Tex-Mex hit and half the song was sung in Spanish. And it was sort of a country-oriented artist. Um, and it was ranked number five for the year. In 1975, right? Yep. So, I don't think La Bamba came out then. Well, it would... No, that was much, much earlier. Much earlier. And then the, the re-release. Um, <clears throat> wow. You want some choices? I do. All right. Choices are La Bamba, Wooly Bully, <laughs> Wasted Days and Wasted Nights, or, or Before the Next Teardrop Falls. I got it narrowed down to two. So I'm going to say, yeah. So for 75, man, 75 must be, uh, can I have the lyrics again? Or what, you didn't give me any of the lyrics? No, I, uh, I didn't give you any lyrics say, because it would give it away. Let, right. So let's say b- b- before the next teardrop falls. You're right. I guess, I guess that went wrong when I went through looking at these first. But uh, you were right. It's Freddie Fender and it is before the next teardrop falls. He did actually reach number one. It was the number five song for the year. But he did get, he he did. Did get, a, week, he did get a week at number one. And then the follow-up was Wasted Days and Wasted Nights. Ah, so, there you go. That's yeah. why he threw it in there trying to throw me off. <laughs> this one I, I'm pretty sure you'll know if you don't I'll be seriously disappointed okay? <laughs> disappointed <laughs> dang it the full moon is calling the fever is high and the wicked wind whispers and moans you got your demons and you got desires well I got a few of my own ooh witchy woman <laughs> oh come on man isn't that what you <laughs> <laughs> I got a few miles. Oh, one of these nights. Sorry. One see? of these nights. There you go. See, I gave you a chance to redeem yourself because I know yeah. you were just you were just getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, and we could have really included the Eagles in this show too because boy, in 1975 they had like three hits. I think um, Lion Eyes was out there. Uh, Best of My Love. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was it was a big year for the Eagles. What about Take It Easy? Was that Later. That was er- that was earlier. Okay. Yep. All right. What are we up to? Number seven. I think so. All right. All right. Headed for the city lights. Excuse me. Headed for city lights. Climbed the ladder up to fortune and fame. I worked my fingers to the bone. Made myself a name. Funny, I seem to find that no matter how the years unwind, still I reminisce about the girl I miss and the love I left behind. Now, this was, he was a lead singer of a great group from the 60s. Then he went solo. And then he sort of came back and, and uh, sung with his previous band later on. Man. Give me the lines one more time before I have to okay. make choices. Headed, headed for city lights, climbed the ladder up to fortune and fame. I worked my fingers to the bone, made myself a name. 
Funny I seem to find that no matter how the years unwind, still I reminisce about the girl I miss and the love I left behind. Dang it. Here's your choices. Okay. Reminiscing. December 1963, oh what a night. My eyes adored you, or she's gone. This is a tough one. Uh, give me the choices one more time. <laughs> Reminiscing. Uh-huh. December 1963, oh what a night. Nope. My eyes adored you, or she's gone. My eyes adored you. Wow, you pulled that one out. Yeah. Jeepers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know, kids. <laughs> you had to work it for it. it right. <laughs> I, yeah, there's no bonus points on that one. There's... All right, this one, I'm going to, I'm not even going to give you too much setup. I'm just going to read these lyrics in cadence. And boy, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to know. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, I see a man at the back. As a matter of fact, his eyes are as red as the sun. Yes. And a girl in the corner let no one ignore her because she thinks she's the passionate one. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was like lightning. That's right. Everybody was frightening. And the music was soothing. And they all started Everybody grooving. Started. Yeah. <laughs> and we can go back to our brother Donald, who used to sing this words, these words to this song, Fox on the Rug. But it's actually Fox on the Run. <laughs> no, it's not. Damn it. Hold on. The right... The right oh. band. Oh. Uh, ballroom Blitz. Dang it. It's Ballroom Blitz, yep. So you get ahead of yourself. You're just enthusiastic, that's all. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Ballroom Blitz, Fox on the Run, uh, was a hit in 1976, the next year. And then a couple of years later, they came out with uh, Love is Like Oxygen. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do. But, uh, and I the, think you the, had the, that the single first, or... Yeah, I bought that single, but the yeah. first and the first one, of course, that that they they got known with was Little Willie. Little Willie. Little Willie Willie won't. Yep, go and, home. And I I know uh, for all you that's uh, sweet or the sweet, but the I, sweet, yes. I know as as like a, at least two years ago, they're still touring. They did uh, the big festival up in uh, oh Minnesota, up in uh, I'll think of it, Park Rapids, Grand Rapids, somewhere oh. around there, but. Yeah, they're. Oh, or did they actually, do? Uh, okay, yeah. I hang on, it'll come to me. But keep talking. Yeah. Um, uh, Queen Biscuit Flower Hour runs these anniversary specials, and actually just heard one from the Suite from like 1978, and it was cool. And I thought, you know, you know that I love candy. I love pop songs, you know, power pop kind of stuff, and Cheap Trick, the Sweet, the Raspberries. Stuff like that just just gets to me. Yeah, and I, I love. I that. thought they were. I thought that band. We, we'll probably have to do a uh, a sweet thing because I thought that band was way ahead of times. You know, talking about recording how they recorded things and uh, they had a lot of things going on in their tunes. So, all right, this next number nine. This artist sings one of the highest notes I've ever heard in a song. Okay. I mean, it's really squeaky high. The lyric is, no one else can make me feel the colors that you bring. Stay with me a while. Stay with me while we grow old and we will live each day in springtime. It's a female artist. I can, I think I can guess the singer, I think. Robert Plant? No, female artist. Oh, oh. (laughs) Oh, that's uh, that, that, that's the actual note. 
<laughs> I should have pulled a sound clip here to cover for you, but uh, yeah, uh, it's mini. It's mini uh, Ripperton. Yeah. Yes. What is the name of the we're song? Running, we're running, uh, loving you. That's right. It's that, easy because you're beautiful. Well, that's what the was. Yeah, it has that really high thing at the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last last one, and then we're right. out of here. All right. This one I hope you know, because I, I, I love this artist. Okay. When I meet a new man that I want from mine, he always breaks my heart in two. It happens every time. I've been cheated, been mistreated. Been mistreated. Linda Ronstadt. The next word. When will yes. I be loved? When will I be loved? There you go. So, yes. And I, I always just love Linda Ronstadt. Yep. And I then, think she's, she's suffering from MS. She um, is. Now. And, yeah, uh, no. you know, as, as we go back to uh, the Eagles, they, of course, were her. <clears throat> yep. They all hung yeah. in the same thing. And, yep. you know, and with they, her they, bandwidth. Wiley yep. Wachell was with her for years. And yes. Yep. I think Skunk played. With her too, I think, right? Jeff Skunk Baxter, Baxter. Uh, maybe so. Yeah, maybe um, he was with the Doobies, but I, I, I know that uh, Waddy did for a long time. So. Yeah, no, Waddy was a uh, is a master. He is. All right, hey, we're gonna be back sometime soon in Internet Time, and uh, this has been episode six highlights from 1975. This is Jimbo signing off from the Songs You Should Know World Headquarters, located at an undisclosed location in central Minnesota, within sight of Lake Wobegon. That's right. And the mixer's signing off from an undisclosed location in Branson. And please keep in mind, that's Branson, Missouri. Also, please keep in mind, if you want to check out uh, things that we talk about or if you have questions, comments, please use the internet, Wikipedia, song facts, and of course, songsyoushouldknow.com. So, songsyoushouldknow.com. We don't make this stuff up. No! <laughs> All right. Until next time. See you.